Crash, your dinner's ready. Only another five minutes and playing the game. All this and more coming up on This Week in Retro. High resolution color graphics. This land of high technology. The revolution in technology that made the information age possible. Those kids are not afraid of computers. Retrotube. You are how old now? And G7 VFY. You owe me a beer. All this and more coming up on this week's show. Up-to-date news for out-of-date tech. Hello, the whole gang is back together. Chris, hey. Dave, yes. and me. Hello, guys. How are we all doing? Yeah, good. I'm doing well. How are you? Good. Did we good day yesterday? Uh, um, yeah, I mean, I, I've done five public days in the cave in the last week. It's been hectic. We've had soldering workshop. We've had uh, guest speaker day with the Gremlin Graphics Day. We had Dr. Alan Meads yesterday, a complete uh, master on the British arcade history, author of Arcade Britannia, which everyone should mm-hmm. read. It's it's absolutely required reading for anyone in this hobby. Um, all recorded, so I'll be making videos about them soon. And uh, today I had a stack of pancakes, bacon and maple syrup, and I am now sat scoffing um, chocolate uh, chocolate seashells. What are they? Gillian. Gillian chocolate seashells. Because it's my birthday today. Oh, happy birthday. Happy birthday, Neil. And I got the, uh, I've got, I've got um, a little bit of cash in a birthday card, and I love it when that happens on my birthday because it means a trip to the retro gaming shop in Swindon down to Retro HQ. So I'll be doing that this week to spend my pennies. Awesome! Just yeah. to let people know, we record at ten o'clock in the morning. So on any other day of the year, it would not be acceptable for Neil to be sitting there munching <laughs> chocolates at, before ten a.m. <laughs> no fillings yet. No fillings yet. Anything else, Neil, this week? Yeah, um, I'm making a video this week about the Console 8, which is another one of these wonderful projects that Heber downstairs have made as part of the Retro Collective. Um, it's a, we're hoping, very low cost Z80 base. So it's got a real Z80 CPU in there, chunk of RAM, um, an ESP, which means you can reconfigure the, the way the graphics work and the sound works. Um, obviously, we'll get it to a standard for launch, and that will be sort of your, your baseline, but it's it's possible to tweak and improve that. But essentially, it's a low-cost console that you turn on, and it immediately goes into BBC Basic. Boo-bip. Ready. I was going to ask that. It does the, the, the boo-bip. The boo-bip's essential. Oh. It hasn't, but I've been told that's been coded into the latest revision, which I need to update mine to, flash mine to. So um, it's just hopefully a cool educational tool, a hobbyist tool. Almost, It almost takes me back to when the Raspberry Pi first came out yeah. and you were thinking mm-hmm. it's for all this kind of stuff. I don't know if you saw the Pi 5 has come out this week yes. or that, oh, last wow. week. Um, and it's talking about, PCI Express, and it's like we've we've added an on-off switch to it, and all of this stuff, and it's almost becoming more and more PC-like, you know. Right, um, it very much is. Um, I, I feel as if the the Raspberry Pi is now here's what we can do for a for for a set price. Here's the most computing you can pack in to a small device for sixty quid or whatever it is. Yeah, I was having a conversation with someone last week, and they raised a very good point. They said. Uh, they shouldn't really be celebrating the fact that they've put an on-off switch on because one of the beauties of the Raspberry Pi is if you've got it in an arcade cabinet, if you've got it in a project, as soon as you turn the power on, it comes on. So why isn't anyone asking, do I need to be able to press the on switch to turn it on? I'm sure they've thought of it. But, you know, there's all these things that sort of move it away from what I feel like was its original vision. Mm. 
Mm. But I still think the Raspberry Pi is a wonderful thing, of course. Um, so I feel like the console eight kind of strips things all the way back to something of that mm -hmm. original vision of basic programming, nice and simple. And hopefully we can um, get people interested. So I'll make a video and we'll see what people think about it. Yeah. Chris, how's your week been? Yeah, not too bad. I've actually, um, I wasn't sure to mention because I've been playing some games and whatever, but last night I was stuck into Red Sector Demo Maker, which I haven't touched in freaking oh, like 30 wow. odd, 40, 30 years. Um, yeah. Did you ever play about with that? Yeah. So Red Sector Demo Maker on the Amiga is a thing where we used to watch mega demos. We used yeah. to watch Jesus on Ease and Spaceballs and all the rest of it and go, wow, that's amazing. They must be incredibly talented coders. I wish I could at least just do scrolling text and greets that's on my right. Amiga. Yeah. So you put this thing in and it almost makes you feel like a, a demo coder. You can type in your yeah. mates' names. You can make them do a little sine wave across the screen and a star field and all of that stuff. Yeah. So That's we're going to see a video on your channel about this. Oh, uh, no, no, not at the moment. But actually, do you know what? There is so few, and not to, you know, rain on anybody's parade that has done a video, but there's so few videos about how to use it. And it's, it's not easy. It, it takes hours to just sort of tinker around, play with values until you get what it's actually doing. It took me a long time to actually remind myself how to use it. And a lot of the stuff is about preloading things like fonts and objects and stuff like that. The reason I've been playing about with it is because I, I want to use it to make a video for the Perth Amiga users group next meet. So the promo video, I want to actually, it, I'll probably merge it with actual footage of a previous event, but I want all the text and the animation to look Amiga. I just think that would be really cool. And so this is a cool yeah. way of doing that. So that's what I've been playing. But yeah, mate, I mean, if it's not me, somebody does need to make a really good set of tutorials because I know I even I'm only just scratching the surface as to how to use it. So yeah, but it's good fun just getting back into it unless it crashes and you haven't saved in three hours. Then that's a bit, I'm a, trying, bit of a I'm letdown. trying to remember, was there an option on that to save your little greet thing to the boot sector of a disc? Yes, correct. There was, yeah. wasn't there? Yes, yeah. I remember now. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's so almost you felt like, like a real little... pirate. Yeah, crack throws on your yeah, things. Right. Yeah. yeah, you could. Yeah, it's awesome. That's no, good fun. Good fun to play with, unless it crashes after three hours of no saves. But yeah. Dave, have you been playing with cracks and crack throws this week? I have been busy with family stuff, but I've also upgraded the whole boring, boring Wi-Fi in the house. But I did something fun. I booked myself to come down hang on, to... Hang on, hang on, hang on. Upgrading your Wi-Fi to a mesh network is fun in your, in your terms. Uh, That's funny to you, it, it Dave. It might be fun for me, but it's boring for the people listening to this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> I know you enjoyed it. Yeah, but they don't want to hear about it. Go on then, Six, carry, on. Anyway, carry on. I have booked myself a treat. I am coming down to see you, Neil. Oh, I'll I think be I'm busy that week. <laughs> you, you're busy seeing me, Neil. You're busy meeting me that week. I'm coming down in November. Um, all of a sudden... John, Bolt of Carl Schorler, the daddy, announced he was coming to the UK. Uh, he's coming over on, on church and band business, and he thought while he was over, he would come over to the Cotswolds and see the cave. You've twisted his arm into doing a session, turning it into a patron day. Loads of people are booked already, and I'm coming down for it. Yep, so many of you will know of the podcast Amigos Retro Gaming and all of their others. I don't want to call them, sub, I guess, sister podcasts that they do together. Family. Um, Fam their podcast family but amigos retro gaming um always hosted by john and and aaron or aaron and uh, john is making a trip over so we've made an amigos patron day uh, hopefully and it will be opened up to the wider public once their patrons have had first refusal of tickets 
Um, and then we're going to get Aaron on the video screen and they're going to record a live episode from the cave in front of our live studio audience. Uh, and I know on the Saturday, that's on the Sunday, on the Saturday, I know they're going into the Cotswolds, they're going down to the model village in the mm. Cotswolds, <laughs> Bolton on the water. Um, so they're going to have a really good get together with John and I'm really looking forward to it. And um, Dave, you're coming down as well. And Chris, that's a bit weak, Chris. I, I can't believe you're not coming I'm over for sorry. it. Let me, let me just check forget. The, uh, the flights and the bank. Oh, no, they both say no. Sorry. <laughs> Don't forget who else is coming down, Neil. Um, who else is coming down, Dave? Duncan. Oh, Duncan Styles. Yeah, producer Duncan. Yeah. Did you yeah. know he booked? Does he have a Yes, I did. Form? I did see uh, he'd booked. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Will we see him or will he be sort of hiding in a producer room out the side the whole time where we don't get to see him? <laughs> see his arm. He pointedly disappears. <laughs> turns into smoke. Um, so it will be, of the Twerf family, it will be everyone apart from Chris. So um, that'll be cool. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Feel free to lay on the guilt, uh, you know. <laughs> maybe we can do a recording on the Monday from the cave. I don't know. We'll, we'll try. We'll, we'll, we'll have to work out what we do there. I yeah, we'll see who's staying, what we can do. We'll, we'll at the very least get some video clips or pictures to, for the show <laughs> to, to share with people. And we will out producer Duncan on the show. His face. We'll get his face on the show. <laughs> and he can yeah. edit it himself and then put a big black <laughs> circle over himself. <laughs> Excellent. Should we get into this week's news in brief slash housekeeping? No, because that's done later on in the show, Neil. Okay, I have been off for a while. What, what do we do now? <laughs> so we go straight into story one. Remember, Let's go remember straight into story one. Let's do it. Retro is rad, according to the YouTube Culture and Trends team over at Google. According to this article on socialmediatoday.com submitted by Dr. Local, retro gaming has seen a huge surge on YouTube over the last year. They reported that there were over a thousand times more uploads of videos related to retro gaming in the first half of this year compared to the same period in 2007, which sounds impressive, but I'm sure there is um, a huge number more users on YouTube this year than there were compared to 2007. So uh, you could probably apply that to most topics. However, it makes for an impressive headline. And the um, the bulk of these uploads fall into the 1980s period. So I've got some stats for you. Everyone loves a stat. For the first six months in 2023, there were 110,000 uploads related to retro gaming in the 1970s. 675,000 uploads related to 1980s retro gaming videos, 550,000 about the 90s, 145,000 about the 2000s, and then 100,000 about 2010s um, retro gaming. I mean, we're on the borderline retro gaming 2010s onwards, aren't we? So, um, patching those. Yeah, the, the 1980s seems to be where the retro gaming buzz really is right now on YouTube. Now, I'm not a stats guy normally, but I did find this really fascinating. And um, it's, it's nice for YouTube to actually recognize our little corner of the internet, um, although it hasn't addressed my usual gripe with YouTube, which I think I've raised on the show before. If you ever see YouTube celebrating anything, even retro gaming on Instagram, on Twitter, on anything like that, they always pick a young, beautiful 20-year-old with a full head of hair talking about retro gaming. They never pick us old boys. That's true. <laughs> Come on, a bit more representation, please, YouTube, on your social media. Anyway. Violin music there, Duncan. Yeah. 
beyond the article, um, make sure that you follow the link to the actual YouTube page with all these stats on. There's lots more information on there. We'll put a link in the show notes. Broadly, YouTube found that retro content fell into one of four categories. And um, Chris, as a content creator, I'm sure you can tick all these boxes. There was extension of self, which is tours of personal collections. Relation to others, which is collecting, playing with or against other people. Financial investment, flipping, collecting, commenting on the value of games. And preservation. Sorry, what's that? Did you just swear there? Me? Flipping. Yeah, flipping. I think so. Flipping. That is flipping. a swear word. Flipping heck. Flipping games. Um, and the uh, preservation um, or the continuity of history. So keeping the history of video games alive. I think anyone who makes retro content on YouTube has ticked all of those boxes at some point, if not all in one video. 60% of videos are about hardware, which I found interesting. And I do find hardware videos tend to be more popular, particularly if you have access to the original hardware to show people because software can be emulated. You don't need to go and look up a YouTube video to try out a game. For example, you can source the ROM legally, uh, fire up your emulator and try it out. From an international perspective, Great Britain ranks fifth for retro gaming content views. Number one is the USA with 370 million views in that six-month period, followed by Japan, Russia, Brazil, and then Britain's in fifth with 59 million views. 58 million um, views, of course, uh, were all on This Week in Retro. The, uh, the, <laughs> the rise and rise of retro on YouTube has been recognized, but do any of us find this to be a surprise? Dave. Well, I'm pleasantly surprised to see it being di- see it being discussed, uh, but the number itself is not a shock. Um, I am surprised though about the numbers of chocolate in his mouth. Eighties uh, versus nineties. I would have thought that nineties would have been much more popular. I always feel as if I always feel as if the console side of things gets more coverage. The kind of the the nineties Super Nintendos, and then on to the your N sixty fours and your Sega Playstations and all the rest of it. I always feel as if that gets more coverage than the micros. Neil, do you think maybe we're entering a period where there's so much retro content about that sort of stuff that people are maybe trying to break out and learn more about other things because. There's only so many times you can watch the history of the Super Nintendo or where did Mario come from and that sort of stuff. You could be right. And I, I do notice with those videos, there's not so much about the hardware. Um, it, it, they open them up and then we do a mod on them, but really that's it. It's more about the history of the, the game. So may, maybe that's it. But I'm certainly pleased to see that the micros are getting it stuff because the micros really belong in the 80s compared to that. Um, if you look at the graph... Uh, you can see it really go. Each three-year step has a huge increase, and that includes a step from 2019 to 2022, so it has continued. However, we all know that in that period, there was a big upspike in that because lots of people were at home and had much more time for it. So I wonder if it's going to level out a bit because it must it must have reached near saturation there. I just hope it's sustained and it's, it, it, it keeps at the level it's at just now rather than dipping down. Um, we are seeing, we're definitely seeing more interest in retro and nostalgia in general. Stranger Things seem to be the vanguard of that. Yeah, um, when you're talking about numbers there, you know, it, it's nice seeing it go up. 
I'm not, I don't really care if it's going to dip because when you think about the millions and millions and millions of people that are watching this content and interested in it, there's plenty for our little This Week in Retro mm. community to have nice conversations with people, which is what we do it for. Um, we know we're never going to have a million subscribers on this show, um, but, that, you know, it's fine. So why why are we are, are you sad that there might be a dip would it make you sad to see a dip dave a crash would make me sad but a dip mm. would be okay a dip, dip's not the end of the world as long as as long as there's still interest there which there will be i mean it would need to be it would need to go back to the kind of the the two, 2007 era where all the retro stuff cost a tenner um, as people keep telling you, um, for it to be really bad, as long, I, I, yeah. So you're, you're right. You're right. A dip wouldn't be terrible. I mentioned Stranger Things, and I think that was the kind of the vanguard of a kind of retro entering the mainstream. Lots of people were right into that, and then it seems to have opened the door for lots of TV and film covering eighties nostalgia and gaming. Um, and they always seem to have some element of gaming in it as well. It seems to be one of the things they, they reach for as a kind of a sign of the eighties. Uh, Atari. I think you're right. <clears throat> Internationally, I like to think things like Life on Mars in the UK started to have a bit of an effect on that as well. Oh, with, yeah. Uh, break out the Quattro and stuff like that. So um, if you're not in the UK, you might not be aware of that series, but it was a, a, a cop show, wasn't it? Um, all mm-hmm. about someone who had gone into a coma and was yeah. living out their life. Um, that's not a spoiler, is it? You knew they'd gone into a coma. Hang on, have we spoiled oh, it? For no. Everyone? Well, episode <laughs> one, but it's the, the, the basic premise. Yeah, I, I think I, I think that was how it was told. Plus, it, it's 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 been a while now. They had yeah. a sequel to it. They uh, did. They had um, ashes, ashes to ashes. ashes. Again, you know, set in the eighties. It wasn't really microcomputer based, but you saw the odd glimpse of something like a Commodore PET or something like that, and the old cars and the old clothes. So there were things like that doing their thing before Stranger Things, but of course Stranger Things was the huge international success that brought back things like the Mythic Arcade, which is, um, for the UK, not accurate to how our arcades were. Maybe some in the US, and this is something that Dr. Alan Mead talked about in his Arcade Britannia talk yesterday, and you'll see in the video when I put it out. However, it doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing if it's um, garnered interest in the topic, does it? When do you think Life on Mars was broadcast, Neil? Crikey. Um, it was at the first one, the first series, mm-hmm. Ashes to Ashes. Mm-hmm. Was, I'm going to say 2006. You're right. Did you look at oh, all? No, I didn't. I was a guess. Wow. Well done. Well done. I just <laughs> thought it, I looked up there and I thought, that's that almost matches the start of this, these YouTube figures. So mm, maybe, maybe yeah. Life on Mars started it. I don't know. We're also seeing people's relationship with online and mobile technology maturing. And it has been the case that we've just grabbed whatever comes next and said the next thing is, is what we should do. Forget about what came before. And now I think we're seeing things maturing. People are saying, do you know, I like physical media. I like having I like being disconnected. And I think with games People are looking at what the, 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 the current model for gaming is, subscriptions, microtransactions, pay to win, give us more money, give us more money. And they're looking back to what we had in the 80s and 90s and thinking, do you know, I like that model better. I like the simpler model where I know what I've paid for, and that's it. I think there's a nice argument as well for preserving and protecting those um, old 
big box games, for example, not just from a historic point of view, but also just from a, an environmental point of view. It's nice not to put them in landfill. It's nice to celebrate them and share them. And of course, nobody wants to see a return to millions and millions of plastic cartridges being made in the future. I do love a physical special edition game when it comes out, but it's not going to happen and it, and it wouldn't be environmentally um, sound to go down that route. So um, I, I think it's nice that people want to save and collect rather than chuck this stuff in landfill. And the more people that do, the better. I, unless you're a collector and <laughs> you're looking at prices go up and up. That's that, that's the selfish argument, isn't it? I don't want people to collect because they'll put the prices up for me. I, I, do you know what? That is fair. On the other hand, if people, if, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. There's all this, there's, there's, there's pros and cons to that. As for the hardware, you mentioned 60% is hardware. Obviously, I'm a big fan of Trash to Treasure restorations from Neil. Um, and there's a huge appeal in watching a video where you know that you, something is going to be fixed, some kind of sense of order, some kind of sense of peace from taking something broken and at the end of it saying, here we are, fully restored and working the way it should be. There's definitely a sense of peace there, and I think people will be discovering that in retro, even if they've no interest in actually having anything retro in their house other than watching the videos. So, yeah, um, not surprised overall, and I'm pleased that they're talking about it. Chris, what do you make of these stats? Well, I was going to say that I'm not surprised because of the whole nostalgia window and moving window of time. We've talked about it before. It's the whole reason Back to the Future was set, you know, going from the 80s back to the 50s. It was actually a nostalgia trip for our parents. We didn't realise that at the time, but it was playing the same trick. But actually, I am surprised because thinking about it, nostalgia is a massive topic. You've got toys, you've got music, you've got cars, you've got all of that and the whole lifestyle of the 80s. And so these stats are specifically about, you know, um, hardware and gaming and, and, and machines and that kind of stuff. So it's actually quite a small niche within a much wider topic of nostalgia and the 80s and the 90s. So seeing computing and gaming come to the fore on its own, not just as a subset of nostalgia as a whole, is actually, I think it's quite remarkable for it to, you know, to crop up on the radar to that degree. It's cool. Yeah, well, and it's always nice for YouTube themselves to recognize it, and hopefully they'll, um, you know, stimulate and promote some of the videos from the, the channels that we love and give some of the people who we know deserve recognition and views and support. Um, hopefully it'll put some of them in the limelight. We shall see. You mean like yourself, yourself, don't you? No, you mean I was yourself. About to say like Chris. I was about to say like Chris, and you went, <laughs> you went and spoiled it, Dave. You went and spoiled it. <laughs> Anyway, all links are in the show notes to this story and uh, other stories that we talk about today. Do go and have a browse of those stats and let us know your thoughts over on our Reddit, uh, reddit.com forward slash r forward slash this week in retro. Give me a P. P. Give me a C. C. Give me a B. Bzz. Give me a way. Way. What have we got? PCB way. PCBWay.com. Chris, why are you holding your head in your hands? I had no idea what was coming. <laughs> Roll with we it. We are kindly sponsored by PCBWay. And uh, I've been um, working with them in the last week or so. To I don't know if I mentioned this on the last show. Uh, we recreated a Commodore PC20 and sent off for those boards from PCBWay. Mm -hmm. They've arrived now. Fantastic. So I'm looking forward to soldering them up. And in that Trash to Treasure series we're doing about the Commodore PC20, putting that in. 
So I'll be using that to do the trash to treasure and restore the Commodore PC20 that I've been working on. And last time we talked about PCBWay, we looked at some of their shared projects. Now, Dave, you've had another look. What have you spotted in their shared projects section this week? I look at a 16-in-1 cart for the Amstrad GX4000, which everyone knows is the best console ever made. Um, it's got me thinking about making my own carts for it. I'm not a big fan of flash carts with everything on them. I don't like the idea of booting a machine up and having the big list. So I like the idea of being able to curate what goes in the carts. So I'm looking at that as something to do eventually and maybe get those working. I'm own set of cartridges because you don't need that many with the Amstrad GX4000. I'm glad you mentioned that um, because when we did Mark's workshop on soldering last week, he ordered a bunch of blank uh, PCBs from PCBWay.com, which were um, Atari 2600 cartridges. So as part of that soldering course, <clears throat> we all learned how to solder um, sockets into it. We put ROMs in and then we had a lot of fun one by one testing if our soldering was good in the 2600 and seeing what game, because he didn't tell them what games were on the ROMs, so we saw what game popped up. So it was a really nice way to learn to solder and have fun. And just another example of what you can find in the shared project section of PCBWay.com. So go and check them out, and we thank them for sponsoring the show. I'm not sure what all of your music listening habits were. For me, I came a bit too late for vinyl and just in time for cassette tapes, and I stuck with them. And then with CDs all the way through to the time of MP3s and then onto phones. And it's only recently I've discovered the enjoyment of vinyl records. And they do a different job than the cassette tape. And I didn't know Neil was going to talk about um, retro uh, nostalgia earlier on. And I, I, it kept me thinking about this story and about people returning to these things. It's not like me to talk about retro, is it, Dave? <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> you know what I mean, though? No. <laughs> I mean about YouTube stuff. So, yeah, okay. when I was when I was talking about that, I was thinking about this story as well and people returning to these formats. Uh, so I've returned to vinyl and I've toyed with the idea of returning to cassette tapes. I've even bought the old Iowa um, that I used to have and I've still got it to repair. Um so I, I do like the idea of going back to these, and it, it looks to be the case that lots of other people do. Now, I didn't actually start out with computing on the cassette tape. I know, Neil, that you were slumming it with your 464 and tapes, but the first computer in my house was a BBC Model B with a 5.25, five and a quarter inch disk drive borrowed from a mum's school, and then a 6128, a CPC-6128 with a 3-inch disk drive. But I did have tapes. I did have tapes. I bought a tape player in Boots, and that opened the world of budget games for me. Recently, I found that the answer to budget games in Spain and France, where they didn't really take very well to tapes, was they had compilations on discs. You would buy three or four games on a disc there for perhaps four times the price of a budget tape with us. But in the UK, I never saw anything budget in disc. So I, I think in the UK, we only had the option of disc games at £3 or £5 extra on top of the normal price for a game. So for me, I used tape games, the tape player I bought, and a Multiface 2 to load them from tape, saved a memory snapshot to disc, and got the best of both worlds. As for cassettes, they were the portable format for me. So even into the CD era, I didn't have a CD player. And right up to the point where I got my MP3 player, a Creative Nomad Jukebox 2, at which point I dumped all the formats, 
I had a cassette player, um, and I loved my cassette player. I, I never found it was I – I never thought the audio quality was bad. I always thought it was fine. But, Neil, tell me about your tape memories. You're talking to a man who recreated a game shop and stocked it with cassettes. So, um, yeah, you, you know where I stand on this, Dave, including the card-backed cassette tapes with their orig- original packaging to hang on the pegs. So when we talk about cassette memories, yes, um, I did have a Walkman followed by a CD man, which I had to very delicately balance on the bus going to college to make sure it didn't skip. Um, So CDs were better in that, sorry, cassettes were better in that respect. But of course, I always think about micros before I think about music when I think about cassettes. Um, And I've got two types of experiences with buying cassettes. So with the Amstrad CPC, it was a later 8-bit micro compared to others to market. So the industry on the high street was establishing well, or it had established. You had your independent computer and game shops, but you also had tape games in newsagents by this point, in chemists like Boots, in stationery stores like WH Smiths, in toy stores, in chains and in franchises. So 90% of tape buying for me my personal experience was in larger high street stores because that's just what we had in my town we didn't have an independent computer game shop and i was a cpc owner so that's where i went um it's not really the done thing to drive yourself to the independent game stores in the next town when you're 10 years old you know i tried driving my dad's car when i was 10 i crashed it into the side of the house um uh, yeah yeah i thought i was going to be really helpful for him and put the car in the garage so I took the handbrake off <laughs> and the driveway is on quite a steep slope. So I just put the car straight in the side of the house and wrote the car off. <laughs> oh no! So I wasn't going to, after that experience, I wasn't going to drive to the next town. Um, it was a mini Metro, by the way. You so I didn't did stand a chance it. against a house. <laughs> so um, yeah, but when I went on a holiday or on a day trip with my parents, there were independent stores and those independent stores really carried a sort of an air of mystery and intrigue for me because they were quite often small shops. They were usually manned by a single member of staff, wall-to-wall games, and the tapes were often kept in the drawer under the watch of the owner who would put them in empty cases when you bought them. The, the empty cases were on display. Whereas in the high street stores, you had them on pegs. They'd obviously factored in shrinkage for shoplifting. They didn't really care. Um, and come to think of it, I've started thinking recently, it's probably why they put the large cardboard backing on the games, on the pegs in shops like that, shops like Superdrug, because it would have stopped you slipping in your pocket. Could that have been a reason? It changed the size from, device? yeah, pocket size to too big for a pocket. Yeah, yeah. Mm, true. yeah. so I quite, I think maybe that's got something to do with it. Nothing to confirm that. It's just what I was, when I was just mulling over how I might shoplift cassette tapes, thinking about this topic earlier, I thought, oh, those will be quite hard ones to nick. I'll avoid those. (laughs) Go joyriding and then nick cassette tapes. Exactly. Yeah. What What a childhood I had. And then at home, I had the British standard Argos computer desk. Do you know the one I'm talking about? Um, MDF, like a pine veneer that was peeling at the edges, space to tuck your legs in at one side, little little bookshelf on that side as well on the side. And then on the other side, three drawers, little red plastic handles on the fronts of the drawers. Um, and those drawers were stuffed with tapes, spine up so I could see what was on them. To be honest, a large proportion of those were actually original games. There were pirated games in there. We had a twin tape hi-fi so I could pirate things easily. But when a game cost £1.99 and your pocket money was two quid and you're in town, it was always an impulse that I couldn't resist. So I would more often than not come home with a a tape in my pocket that I paid for with the receipt. Would you have paid the right price or would you have swapped the stickers over because they're a thief? (laughs) 
No, you're, you're talking about the 16-bit era there, Dave, so we'll move on. Um, and the last thing I'll say about tapes is, yes, we bemoan the loading times of tapes. Yes, we were all blown away when we got our first floppy disk-based machine. I envied the speed of BBC Micros loading their disks at school. That was the norm for you, Dave, because you had a BBC Micro, posh boy, and your 6128. The but- BBC Micro was borrowed. And, and do you know, I agree with you in tapes. Tapes are fine. The loading time isn't as bad as what people say people now do it in the lobby for online games and updates and all the rest of it it wasn't bad and it wasn't the 45 minute nonsense that you hear people talking about it was five minutes 10 minutes oh god there was it, that it was, tv show wasn't there where, where the guy yeah. went oh, and it used to take 30 minutes to load a cassette game on a no, it did well it did it did it, it was five minutes if it loaded minutes. first time and the problem was <laughs> seldom did it load first time so you'd rewind adjust the volume try again rewind adjust the volume <laughs> There's your 30, 40 minutes. Maybe on your spectrum, but I remember the CPC being pretty reliable when it came to loading games. Yeah. Um, Unless you rubbed magnets all over your tapes, Chris. Um, I was not meant to do that. I thought loading games from tape was an absolute non-issue for me. Uh, You know, loading, the anticipation of a tape loading, that was part of the joy of the experience. You didn't have a mobile phone. Line by line. You weren't contactable outside um, of a, a knock on the door or someone calling the landline plucking up the courage in case it was your parents that answered and they wanted to talk to you. You know how it was. Um, and um, you would just focus on something for five minutes while it loaded, a magazine, cassette inlay, other tapes to decide what you might play next. Dinner. You might you might load the game, go down for dinner, come back up, and it was loaded and ready to go. Um, you remember some of the Oliver Twin games shouted when it was loaded. Your, your game's loaded or whatever it was, you know. Let's play Dizzy. I can't remember what they shouted. Robin Hood. Um, so you knew you could hear from downstairs. It was time to go back. It was the opposite, Chris, of your mum calling you down for dinner. It was the Oliver Twins calling you back up <laughs> to play on your computer. Nice. Your game's ready. Put your dinner down. So you would do that. It was a non-issue. And um, I think I know that, Dave, you sometimes express the same feelings as I do on this topic. Yeah. I'm as nostalgic for having that time, that patience and that peace of mind as yeah. I am yeah. for the games themselves. And some of that is the cotton wool of being a kid, and some of that is a less connected world that we lived in. Yeah, and I, I, the, 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 the time and the patience and the, and the peace of mind is, is something I'm trying to get back to these days. My attention span has been hammered by modern technology, and I've done it myself, uh, and I, I'm, I like to get back to that point, peacefully reading a book, loading up a game from tape, putting in a cassette to listen to something, that kind of thing. Yeah, I, I like to get back to that. Chris, what about you? Yeah, well, for me, in terms of tapes um, for games, it was the Acorn Electron, first of all, which, you know, is only after I re-bought an Acorn Electron that I realised it kind of loads in blocks on that. So if it, if it fails to load a block, it will change to searching rather than loading, and you don't have to rewind back to the beginning, which is what I did as a kid. You can just basically sort of ride the rewind button and try and find the beginning of the block that it needs to load next. So you don't have to go back from scratch, which is fantastic. Um, But I had the Spectrum Plus 3. That was my first Spectrum. So, yes, I had the disk drive, just like your Amstrad. But, again, for the same reasons, I bought, you know, had a tape deck um, and just loaded games from tape because I'd either get copies from my mates or it was budget pocket money games. Um, And, yeah, same memories of – well, for me, I, I have very real memories of many failures of trying to load on the spectrum um and so having to rewind right to the beginning of the game give it another go yeah 
I wonder if the, I I went to I went down to Boots one day and I bought the Boots uh, thing intended for loading games from tape. And I wonder if at that point, which would have been maybe 1986, 1987 at the latest, I wonder if at that point they had it right down to a T to what exactly was the best data set to use for it. And I wonder if that's why I never had it. I really had no tape problems at all. Mm. I wonder if it's because by that point they were selling things that were perfect for it and you went to um, Argos and got a cheap one. Oh no! Quite, quite possibly, it was probably one that my, you know, sisters had in their room, you know, a, a cassette recorder or whatever. Uh, although I do remember it had the, the the REM socket, so it was definitely a data cassette recorder. But I think it did, it, you know, now that we're older and wiser, it definitely came down to the quality of the kit and how you looked after that kit. You know, are the heads clean, that kind of thing, which is where you know I became uh, well, not jealous of my mates with the plus twos because I had my plus threes, but the plus twos were a lot more reliable loading from cassette because it was an inbuilt cassette deck. So you weren't having to mess with the volume control to get the exact tone and all that kind of stuff. Who was it that manufactured the Plus 2s, Chris? Well, wasn't the first one Sinclair and then the, after that it was Amstrad? You're correct, correct, it wasn't. Um, You're correct, it wasn't. It wasn't Amstrad. No, it was Amstrad. I wonder if there's I wonder. If I thought the first Plus 2 was Sinclair the... and then and yeah, then the later right. Plus 2s. So yeah, yeah. Because there's the grey and the, and the black three one. Was, and the Plus 3 was Amstrad as well. I wonder if there's any difference in the reliability between the Sinclair-produced Plus 2 and the Amstrad-produced Plus 2. Mm. I mean, I'm not saying mm. Amstrad is is a, a premium product in any way whatsoever. It was just as budget as Sinclair. But from my experience of a CPC, it was a very reliable machine for loading tapes at the time. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, my earliest memories of playing on a Spectrum were my mates having 48Ks while I had the Electron, and they certainly had, with the external tape decks, they certainly had the the failure issues. But every time you're dealing with an external tape deck, it's, you know, what's the volume, what's the tone, all of that. And the Spectrum is so picky. Well, I find it picky anyway. Somebody will probably hate me in the comments, um, but I, I find wonder it if we'll, very picky. I wonder if we'll get corrected in the things, but I always thought that the Plus 2 was the 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 Amstrad's first one, not Sinclair's themselves. I thought it was always after. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm sure people will, will, will let us know, but I thought it no, was. No, you might. I you might be was, right. You might be right. Yeah. I thought they. I thought the first plus two was Sinclair, and then they got bought out, and then they moved on, and then Amstrad continued mm. it. Um, but I could be not wrong. Sure. Because yeah, you got you sure. got two versions of greys, haven't you? I can't remember. Plus two, plus three, and then the, I think eventually the, the, the black, black one is basically yeah. a plus three design with a few things missing. That's essentially um, it. Yeah, like a disc drive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, Sinclair did well, yeah, plus plus, plus the yeah. controller. Uh, anyway, let's let's move on from that. Let's get back to cassette tapes. Oh, and I did enjoy your um, conversation last week about the packing games, and you may know that I've been monitoring the Amstrad packing box on ebay that's been for uh, someone's had it up for sale for a while started off at 300 pounds so this is the amsoft pack of 10 or 12 cassette tapes roland on the ropes harry attack animal mineral vegetable bridget all of those games that i got on the christmas day when i got my amstrad cpc 300 pounds is too much <laughs> i'm not gonna buy that they've not they've dropped it and dropped it and dropped it it's still too much it's 150 pounds by the way now so i'll that's keep you posted guys on how low that goes that's not i bad, did put in really. an offer of 60 quid that was refused <laughs> oh. quid still seems 60 it's, quid still seems it's, it's pretty battered the box yeah oh, okay. 60 quid was 60 a, lot. Quid's a lot maybe put yeah. the offer in again now it's not sold and say look nah. we'll, we'll, we'll keep an eye on it um but I did like the fact that they listed it as 
one of a kind. You won't find another one of these for sale anywhere. And there's another one on eBay. <laughs> <laughs> there's another one right there. Except this one. <laughs> yeah. Except that other one. <laughs> yeah. Don't look at that one. Anyway, one day I'll get it. Anyway, let's get back on track, Dave. Uh, no, Chris, you, have you got any more points to make about cassette oh. tapes? Only for yeah, cassette from a music perspective. I don't know. There's I don't know if you're into retro synthwave or anything, but I've got right into that. And there's a couple of tracks that they mimic halfway through. They mimic the yeah. warble that you get from a cassette that's either been chewed yeah. or maybe your Walkman's wearing down. And I love that because even though we hated that at the time, you know your batteries are nearly gone, but you you still got a train journey to complete. So you're going to keep listening to your Guns and Roses at half speed because that's <laughs> that's the speed the motor's going at. And now now I've got real nostalgia for that failure, <laughs> that complete yeah. and utter failure. Yeah, there's a band called Gunship who do things like that wonderfully. Great, that's music. it. Yes. Yeah, Gunship. Yes. Yeah. Now the reason for this discussion is a submission from Pajaco, who tells us about a CDM story in which Maxwell reminds us that they are still making tapes. The UR range from Maxwell, uh, hence the title of the story, um, is Type 1 tapes, so they're not the best tapes made ever. And I've done a little bit of research and I found that they're okay and you might actually be better rather than getting the newly made ones, getting new old stock ones because there's loads and loads of new old stock about. But the brand new tapes, they look very much like the TDK one that, that Chris held up for almost a fraction of a second. There we go. Same kind of 80s design. I don't like the 90s design of the tape boxes with all the, the CD stuff and the 90s design, the 80s ones I like better. Um, I've checked in Amazon. You can get them in the US of A where they're $12.50 and you can get them in the UK for £11 for five tapes. So that's not too bad. I think that's reasonable. And I am slightly tempted, I'm slightly tempted to get them and transfer the vinyl onto tapes and use that in my cassette player, my portable cassette player, but I won't be doing it until I've got all the things caught up on, so it's years away, if anything. But it's reassuring to know that they're still being made, and even if they stop making them, there'll still be enough around for my lifetime, I'm sure. Um, either of you see yourself going back to cassette tapes at any point? Do you think you might ever want to do it for music? I would want to do it for music and maybe homebrew games, but the problem with cassette, even though you can get brand new cassettes, is you can't get brand new mechanisms. All the brand new players have got really bad, cheap mechanisms in them, and and that's the point of failure. So you're better off spending on a on a used Sony or Kenwood or something than buying a brand new system, which is really weird. I have a nice way of playing CDs in a little bookshelf Denon Hi-Fi. I have a nice way of playing vinyl on a Sony record player that has Bluetooth and links up to my um, soundbar and everything that's in my telly and my sub. Uh, I don't have a nice way hooked of, of playing cassette tapes. No doubt I could find a bookshelf um, hi-fi or something like that to do it in a small, compact way, but I don't... Yeah, Chris is holding up a Walkman. I don't, I don't feel the need to go out and buy a Walkman. I actually use now bone conducting headphones i don't know if you've ever used Ooh. those bluetooth ones that connect I've to heard my of phone them. yeah so they just vibrate the sound into the bones on your skull rather than going into your ears mm. and it's really nice because you can hear the world around you you can use them at the gym nicely without them falling off your head and all of that stuff um i don't really want to go back to foam padded headphone orange headphones and a, and a walkman personally 
it's a, I, I would put one in the museum for people to pop on and experience listening to a cassette tape on a Walkman. But no, I, I don't have nostalgia for that, I'm afraid. Fair enough. Sorry. Fair enough. It's not this um, week in cassette tapes, guys. Well, in my view, um, I think you are 90. I want some because you are not too inconvenient for me. Housekeeping and news in brief this week, then the stories that you submitted that didn't make it to conversation pieces, but we think you'll find interesting nonetheless over at reddit.com forward slash r forward slash this week in retro. Stories included, we learned how Keith Herring used, is it Herring or Harring? Keith Herring, Keith Harring, a famous artist, used an Amiga to create his distinctive artwork. There's a Vintage Computer Federation video that includes Windows running on a power PC based system. A man builds a 1980s video store in his basement. Google is killing their podcast service and moving everything over to YouTube Music. It's not really a retro story, but, you know, it, it affects our show. Yeah, I, I, is this them trying to make the YouTube Music product look better? Or are they moving away from podcasts? I don't know. I use Pocket Casts on my Android phone. Neil, what do you use for you? Um, Spotify, to be honest, uh, I use CarPlay because I do most of my podcast listening when I'm driving and I just hold down the button and say, play me the latest episode of, you know, Amigos, the Retro Hour, This Week in Retro, They Create Worlds, whatever it is that I'm listening to, and it will just bring it up and it usually does it through Spotify. I would suggest that maybe YouTube are just doing that age old thing of ushering all of their audience into one platform so they can say, look, we have X million of people, uh, people on this platform. Therefore, it's worth a lot more money to their shareholders, probably. And finally, there's a video on Z80 programming using chat GPT. Mm. I'm going to look into that because Z80 on the console eight. Can I just cheat massively oh, yeah. by using ChatGPT to get to, to write games yeah. for me for it? We'll find out. Um, on to housekeeping. So you can check out uh, all those stories in more detail on, on the subreddit. On to housekeeping. Just got to clear up something you said last week, Dave. You did a very good job of promoting the charity calendar that I'm working on. Now, by the time this show goes out, the deadline will have just passed for you to submit your photos for the charity calendar. I'm probably not going to get to it till the end of Sunday. So I'm going to give you a couple more days. So if you want to submit a, uh, a picture of your a boxed video game for the, for the calendar, for charity, um, all the details are, are in the show notes. So go and do that. I'd love it if you took part in that for me. Uh, Dave, you did say that the money raised would include the price of the calendar and all the postage would go to charity as well. I've just got to correct. I I'm not covering the cost of the postage. <laughs> We're covering the cost of the, uh, the calendar, but you'll pay for your postage and that goes to Royal Mail to get chipped out. Otherwise, it would end up costing me thousands of pounds in postage. Um, So I just can't do it, guys. But we will hopefully still raise thousands for the charity. You got too excited, Dave. Um, Another housekeeping news. The next event at the cave uh, is at the end of October. We have Linux Jedi, a.k.a. Andrew Hutchins. Um, He's coming to present the Pi Storm project and show us lots of Amiga goodness examples of the Pi Storm, where it's been, what it does, where it's going. And as usual, just a great hangout at the cave in the arcade archive at the Retro Collective. So head over to retrocollective.co.uk to book a ticket to come to that event. Any other housekeeping from you guys? 
So following up on the, the Amiga stereo separation, I've ordered a base MX PCB for my Amiga. So maybe I'm going to end up in a happy place in terms of stereo separation, which would please Chris and stop him going on a, an all-out assault on me um, for it. <laughs> I'll let you know when it's here. I'll let him have a chance to set it up. I'm super busy coming up, so I don't know when I'll get it set up. But the idea is it takes the it takes the uh, the sound from the Amiga and decides what should go to both channels and what should stay separated. Um, Duncan, it's time to get your bleeper out. Other Retro Matt has a submission then this, this week about Molyneux blockchain bullshit. <laughs> The antidote to the rose-tinted defence on the pod a couple of weeks back, evil. So Matt, yeah. Matt is not happy with me. No, I missed that episode. I wasn't on that one. And when I was listening back to it, I was thinking, oh, I did a lot of research on him for interviewing Monolu, mm. um, who, of course, as you mentioned on the show, stood me up twice. So he was already in my bad books for that reason. But as part of that research, I learned about the things he's done in more recent years. I agree with you. I love all of his old stuff. But some of the stuff he did in more recent years um, made me think that this apology video or this, it was it was kind of an apology video for the hype that he put out, didn't he? Um, was it? Exactly. Which made me think, that wasn't an apology at all. It's just another <laughs> layer of hype upon hype upon hype oh, upon no. bull uh, because he's got a new video coming out. In my personal I opinion... <laughs> Yeah. I did enjoy the, the, the article was great. The, the the last paragraph in the article before they, they led you on the next one, the last paragraph in the article, they did all the set up and say he's apologizing. Then the last paragraph they said, Yeah, and he's got a new game coming out. So and they implied that's why he said it all. So yeah. um the blockchain, the the new game, as they say in the PC gaming article that Matt said, it says the blockchain based business simulator developed by Molyneux's Twenty Two Can Studio is set to go live in October twenty six. Legacy will be seamlessly integrated with Gala Chain. Now, Duncan, can you bleep again, please? Anything to do with crypto and blockchain is. Sh I don't want anything to do with it. I'm not interested in it. I won't find out about his new game. I won't play it. I won't read up about it. I've no time for it. He doesn't care, Dave. He's already made the money. I know. He's already he's already raised millions and millions on this game. So but really? yeah. it's coming in, at least it's coming in at a point where it will fail because blockchain is yesterday's news. It was well, designed when it was all booming yeah. and uh, it's all now just for chumps. And on that happy note, that's the end of Dave's briefs. <laughs> I've taken one for the team this week, guys. Um, I love a good B movie, which is kind of a paradox when you think about it. Um, and I've and I've really enjoyed some clangers for all the wrong reasons. But this weekend, for the good of the show, I sacrificed one hour forty minutes plus ads of my life that I'll never get back watching a movie that was posted in the subreddit by one of our listeners. The movie in question is called Brain Twisters, and it's from 1991. It's available to watch in full on YouTube, and the IP owners don't seem to care that it's up there for free, and I think there's good reason. They probably are too ashamed of it to bother to claim the IP. Um, and it is, however, injected with adverts every five minutes, so enjoy that. Uh, and the plot is apparently that there's an evil corporation and it's doing mind control experiments 
obviously on hapless college students because it has to be, right? Um, and they're doing these mind control students through digital media that they plan to then incorporate into computer games to send kids into a rage on demand. So, Chris, you didn't want to pay for YouTube Premium then? <laughs> no. <laughs> you get your adverts every five minutes. <laughs> no, I'd rather just Is that sit there in a basically in a what they're doing with 5G now? Yes, it's exactly the same. Yes, absolutely. Anyway, apparently, I say that's the I say that's the plot, right? Because it really isn't easy to pick up on the plot. You wouldn't have a bloody clue what was going on in this piece of rubbish movie. And there's no clear link to computer games until the closing scene, in which a kid who's playing a game, uh, a computer game, shouts at his mum for calling him down for dinner. Yep, that's how evil he's become. Are the Oliver twins the heroes in this situation? Do they call him back up and save yeah, the game? That's right. <laughs> that's the game. Um, anyway, yeah. Funnily enough, I mean, it really is, that scene really is right at the end of the movie, and it's the first glimpse of the computer game that you actually get in the entire one hour, 40 minutes, which is why you really don't have a clue what's meant to be going on unless you've read the plot line beforehand or you bother to sit through one hour, 40 minutes worth. Um, should have actually said spoilers. Um Probably not, because this I think this movie comes pre-spoiled in every way. Um, it's it's too good to be enjoyed for being a bad B movie. It sort of sits in that weird middle place, and it's too bad to be enjoyed for being a movie at all. So it's not, you know what I mean? You know, a, a really really bad B movie you can get into and laugh at it because it's so bad. But this doesn't fall into that category either. Um, and I think it actually takes pride of place as the worst movie I've ever had the displeasure of watching. Um, IMDb gives this rubbish 3.5 out of 10. So there we go. Um, I'll give you my score after we've had a chat about it. Is it worse than Ready Player One? Oh, hey, I still enjoyed that film. Oh, I, I thought oh. it was terrible. Ready Player One. With five I minutes thought- in and turned it off. I thought it was terrible at first because a mate had told me about it and he loves retro gaming and everything and he sort of really hyped it up. And because I've been into Hunger Games and Maze Runner, I was expecting it to be that gritty um, and it wasn't. It was almost this cartoony fantasy land. Um, So I really didn't enjoy Ready Player One on first watch. When I returned to it later and understood it for what it was, I quite enjoyed it. Yeah, I actually did quite enjoy it. But... But anyway, um, well, speaking of chatting about this movie or, or movies, what the hell are we going to chat about? I mean, I hope you guys haven't watched this over the weekend, right? <laughs> you didn't? Okay, nope. it's just just me then. So actually, let, instead, let's discuss, because I think we've done movies and games and the tie-ins over, uh, until, you know, over and over again. So maybe let's discuss the premise raised at the end of this movie. Did you ever? Did you guys ever recall being called down to dinner only to rage back that you needed another five minutes because you were mid-game? Or what was your first game-fueled rage that you can remember, Neil? Mm. So just to, just to recap on this movie that you've watched, <laughs> what are some examples of the kids raging during the movie? What, what how how do they rage? Do they like attack they, people or what? Yes, it's just random, and there's no link to what's going on. There's just The experiments, all you see of the experiments is some lights being reflected off their faces, so you don't really pick up on the fact that they're they're supposedly watching a thing, a digital thing, because they've got lights flashing on their faces, right? Yeah, that's right. And then they go crazy. And then then later, not necessarily straight away, but later they'll just suddenly go into a rage and slit somebody's throat with a closed pair of scissors, I might add. Like (laughs) that, (laughs) this particular rage scene, I'm like... 
the scissors were closed. How did she even do that? <laughs> uh, look, the level of this movie is, you know, where you spot somebody closes a car door and uh, two seconds later you hear the sound, the you know, out-of-sync sound effects. This is, oh, it's a fantastic movie. <laughs> Sounds ideal, yeah. yeah. Um, no, you know me, I don't rage. Um, I, 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 think, I think the idea about um, a game being interrupted and causing rage is amplified a lot by the... Um, onset of online gaming because we used to have a pause key we could just pause the game and yeah. then come back to it afterwards but with online gaming maybe in an mmorpg you could you could log off safely even then there's usually sort of a 60 second time before you disappear from the world um in an fps you can't do that they carry on they're just going to carry on massacring you so yeah you know you're more likely to rage in that situation the game that did cause me some pain caused me to rage was Ultima 9 Ascension, a series I love. It's first foray into 3D graphics. It had 3DFX support. Um, it was going to take me virtually in 3D into a land and into a lore which I loved and which I know Dave loves too. And what it actually turned out to be was a buggy mess. So this was in the late 90s. So we were online. The game wasn't an online game. We had UO for that. But we were on forums chatting about it, trying to get acceptable performance out of it. This is a game where people were buying high RPM SCSI hard drives and raid cards to try and get an acceptable frame rate out of the game. It was that bad. It was like everything you did. Every time you turned to face another direction in the game, the disc would start thrashing as it loaded textures. It was just... Uh, and the frame rate would nosedive. It was horrible. This did get better in time with some patches, but I tried everything to enjoy this game. I even formatted my whole computer and just put the OS on it and just put this game on it. I didn't go as far as SCSI hard drives, but I did everything I could to clear up my PC got no better and then the final straw came when um despite the choppy frame rate and performance issues i persevered i put hours and hours into the game and it decided it wasn't going to register that i completed a quest oh. even though i'd completed the quest the text came up saying you've done it the special item was gifted to me it just wouldn't let me progress off the island it wouldn't let me go through the invisible barrier which was another annoyance despite saying this is a great big open world game it did actually pen you in to that section of the world that you were supposed to be in until you could progress even if i jumped back some saved games and did it again it wouldn't register it so that's when it all went back in the box box got chucked in the loft and i think the ultima 9 that i have today is one of the few games that i still have from my original collection because it got pushed so far into the back of the loft i completely <laughs> forgot about it and then one day dug it out so it's one of my few original games that and a copy of comanche 3 which has holes in the front because i once used it as a target for bb gun shooting practice <laughs> <laughs> that caused me a lot of rage ultima 9 dave did you rage over that one you're wearing your ultima 6 t-shirt today no, I didn't. I, I dodged Ultima 9. I, I kind of fell off Ultima quite a lot with Ultima 8. Um, the when I'm, I had Ultima 6 for my ST, and it was quite difficult to play because of the disc swapping. I played it a lot more on my PC, so I had Ultima 6, Ultima 7 in the PC, Ultima 7 Part 2, Ultimate Underworld, Ultimate Underworld 2, all in a really short period of time. And then Ultimate 8 came out and it was disappointing. And that kind of put me off the series. And then the internet came about and I didn't even touch Ultimate 9. And it looks as if I've dodged a bullet there. But although I'm told now it's quite playable, so I will get to it eventually, Ultimate 9. Um, I, I did I did install it once and started playing it and never got back to it. But yeah, um, 
as far as rage is concerned, though, I don't know if I can remember raging. Uh, I certainly wanted five more minutes. I'll be down in five minutes. Yeah, I'm just coming. Um, and in fact, I, I, I'd miss being an age where I had no responsibilities. I could go deep into a game, and the only responsibility you really had was it's 11 o'clock time to go to bed or your dinner's out. Um, it must have happened, though. I played MUDs where PK was possible, which now it's called PVP. It was called PK Player Killing. These MUDs were not PK most of the time, so it was always there. It was always a threat it could happen. But most of the time, you'd be XPing or zoning, so you'd be gathering XP to level up, or you, um, you'd be teaming up to complete these big zones for bigger rewards. But the PK was always there as a kind of a threat. It might happen at any time if you get raided, but it didn't happen too often. Um, and of course, sometimes you would go looking to do it to other people, perhaps in a group, and sometimes you might find it. Other times you might find another group, or you get hit in a zone, and if you lost, if you get hit in a zone and lost, then you could you lose months of work gathering equipment and artifacts and so on. Um, and of course, there must have been rage when that happened to me. Um, I don't remember it. Uh, maybe just disappointment, sitting there shell-shocked. Um, and the mud I'm talking about there most is Juris, if anyone's played it. Um, but later in life, I played Eve, and it was pretty much the same idea. I was exclusively out in zero zero space, lawless space. But most of the time, you weren't PvPing. Most of the time, you were trying to achieve things, but the PvP was always hiding in the background. And again, maybe there was rage there if that went badly. But going back to your film, I did realize you were doing this story. And there was enough time that I thought maybe I'll get time to watch this movie. And I'm delighted to say that I didn't get the time. And I've dodged a bullet. Uh, it sounds absolutely awful. Nothing you said about this film makes me sound good. Do you know what? I don't even, I, I'm not even a fan of so bad it's good films. I'm not really oh, a fan not. of those either. You were having too much fun installing your Wi-Fi mesh network. Wi-Fi it works great. It, let's get out of there. The, the Wi-Fi is 6E. It works great. I can walk through the house on a phone Chris, call and Wi-Fi carry on, on my new carry phone. On the story, it works Chris, great. Brilliant. <laughs> I'm just seeing a B-movie called Wi-Fi mesh. I think there's, I think there's legs mesh. in that. Wi-Fi mesh. The mesh oh. is and it, like, People walk in and it like slashes them with lasers. Yeah. They thought they would yeah. get Wi-Fi calling. What they well, got was the it mesh. Brain twisters <laughs> to the mesh. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. They walk through the Wi-Fi mesh, and then that's when they get their rage. Anyway, right. Um, well, I've got some rage moments that I certainly remember. One was going off. Oh, all these topics kind of interlink. So trying to load a game on my Spectrum Plus 3 from cassette and I don't know, you guys, because you had your fancy Amstrad, you didn't have this same this problem Dave, because it loaded why first Dave time every so time. Chill. We had our That's Amstrad. why. Whereas I grew chill. up trying to load Spectrum games from cassette, which it turned into a ritual. Like, oh, last time this loaded, I was sitting at that end of the bed and and the door was ajar and blah. You know, you'd have to get everything just exactly right. Anyway, so this game's nearly loaded. I've been trying several times to get it loading. And then my mum opens the bedroom door to ask me something, and that's the exact moment it failed, clearly making it her her fault. And I remember raging. I don't know what I said because, you know, grew up in fairly strict home. There was no swearing back at your parents or anything like that, but there was certainly some shouting involved. Um, and she went away very apologetically, and it wasn't her fault at all, probably not. Um, and the other one, it wasn't me. It was it was actually my brother. We were playing, and I can't remember which football game it was on the Spectrum, 
but I was thrashing my brother to the point where in frustration after I'd scored yet another goal, he literally was sitting next to each other on the bed, small room, and he literally just went bang and smacked me full on in the mouth. (laughs) (laughs) you uh, you mentioned there that you you weren't allowed to swear at home. I certainly would get a clip round the ear if you know mm. if I even hinted at swearing growing up. Dave, were you in a sweary house? Um, no, I wouldn't swear. I think swearing. My dad still he will swear if it's if it's something severe. So he's managed to get the balance just right where we can swear, but it has to be worth it. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, carry yeah. on. <laughs> yeah, well, punch in the mouth by my brother. <laughs> That's the, the ultimate. Literally well, a punch in the mouth, like full so on fat lip. you assaulting each other and then Neil joyriding. Swearing's yeah. not the problem <laughs> pretty, here. Pretty much, yeah. So, I mean, that was def- definitely a game. In- For the rest of the game, I didn't let him win. I just ran around with the ball, but I didn't score another goal. That's how Heidi punched me in the mouth. <laughs> I still remember it. But anyway, um, but because of those sort of gaming memories and, and being aware that if you're mid-session, it is quite hard to, to break. Um, I, I've always had kind of a respect for if my kids are, um, well, they're not kids anymore, but when they were growing up, if they were playing a game and it was getting towards dinner time, we got to the point where we basically would give them a five-minute warning. And in fact, on one of their suggestions, act suggestions, we actually put a, a doorbell in so that we could press a doorbell. It would ring in his bedroom and he'd know he had five minutes and in five minutes' time, it should come down. But you're absolutely right with what you said, Neil. It's, it's, you know, in our day, it was mostly single player, and it didn't matter if you just stopped there and then, whereas now it's online, you're letting your team down. But then we did have that discussion of, well, actually, that team are just random people online, and the people that matter are the people in this house. So you have to have that kind of conversation and that balance as well. Um but back to the movie, um, I urge you, please don't watch it. Um, I, I'd rate it one. I'll do, you know, have a bit of a laugh. Now that you go in with low expectations, give it a watch if you want to. Um, I'd rate it one out of ten. Uh, the acting and plot smacks of a softcore adult flick but fails to deliver even on that level. Um, other fantastic bad movies that I would watch over this, if you like Watching bad movies for the fact that they're bad. Uh, one is Pterodactyl, 2005. Um, Jesus Christ, Vampire Hunter, 2001. Yes, a very low-budget Canadian movie featuring Jesus teaming up with an amateur wrestler called El Santo to defeat vampires, uh, and that scores better for me than Brain Twisters. Um, and Rubber is um, Rubber is actually a movie I really love. It's about a tyre that rolls around killing people (laughs) through the power of thought. Um, Well, actually, and this is where the movie is weird, it's got excellent cinematography. This is where the movie's weird. It's actually fantastic. Um, Uh, That sounds like um, the perfect film to video game adaptation, especially in the 8-bit era. Oh, yeah. It's a tire that you can control to run people over with. It's like every weird abstract video game of the 8-bit era. That's right. Um, the movie's plot is, I mean, that is the plot, but the movie's plot, why was it going around doing this? And Duncan, you're going to have to bleep me this week. I'm quoting the movie. It's the only reason I'm going to say it. It's the only reason I'm going to say a naughty word that my mum would clip me around the ear for. But the plot is for no f- reason. Just no quoting the movie. Chris. No dinner for Chris. Um, Neil, Neil, you've not had a bleep this week. Would you like to have a bleep? I'll, I'll finish for you. I'll finish on what I think is a good movie, and it's about technology, and it's actually about social media and especially about content creation. 
and, and I do think it's worth your time. It's a 2017 techno thriller called The Circle, uh, directed by Jane James Ponsold, um, and starring Emma Watson and Tom Hanks. Um, it doesn't actually rate very highly, but in my opinion, it's one of the, the most important movies of our time, um, and it actually sends a very real and powerful message about life online. So give that one a look. But Brain Twisters doesn't, uh, and that's one hour, 40 minutes. I'll never get back. So Reddit user G7VFY, thank you for your submission. You owe me a beer. It's time now for our community question of the week. So let's start with last week's question, which was, do you have any memories of Tandy slash Radio Shack? The machines or the shops? Do you lament the loss of the shops? And the question went, uh, I used to, who, who set this question, by the way? Was it one of you? Is it both of you? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Me. Yeah. Me. Dave. Okay. So Dave said, I used to use our local Tandy for electronic no, components. No, I didn't. No, I didn't. No, <laughs> no. That's this is Duncan's answer. Oh, to the Duncan's. Question. Okay, yeah, sorry. Duncan's answer. Yeah. So Duncan answered. I used to use our local Tandy for electronic components for various projects. Do it in Duncan's voice. Um, <laughs> he's he's got quite a kind of um, sort of a London accent, hasn't he? As Duncan, am I right? We just hear him at Do the end of the podcast. Geezer voice. Geezer. Oh, I used to use local Tandy for electronic components <laughs> for various projects, but I used to love looking at all the odd stuff there that they would have in there. There were the usual cassette players and radio cassettes, radios, etc. <laughs> but then there were the things you wouldn't find anywhere else. Strange electronic gadgets and all those project kits. I'm sure they used to inspire and enable youngsters like myself at the time. Or oh, went a bit farmery there. Somerset. <laughs> and get into electronics. Online availability just isn't the same. as You don't get to browse and discover in the same way. I miss those shops. And Maplin, they seem to have gone too. Dunk. Duncan's, so that was Duncan. Is Duncan a pirate? <laughs> Or, or a farmer. I can't decide where Duncan's from. Duncan was doing a, doing a tour of England there. <laughs> Duncan certainly, that was certainly missed Radio Shack. So other people who miss Radio Shack um, include... Oh, we've got some long answers. Obviously, people want to justify their answers this week. So I'll start with um, Om Roscoe. I've taken it out of contest mode, by the way. Um, Om Roscoe is at the top. And says, I miss Radio Shack. I remember the hodgepodge of electronics marked with realistic or Archer brand. Some were normal things like clock radios, um, but the odd items that were that my young eyes um, observed were bizarre and magical. I didn't need them, but I wanted them. Just by browsing and seeing things I didn't know existed, I could solve problems that I didn't know I had. I miss my Radio Shack cassette tape splicer. Oh, nice tool that. That I would use to cut out the empty part at the end of side A, on my mixtapes. So my auto-reverse deck would start the next side of the tape right away. Do you know, I didn't know if they were really a thing, tape splices, for your own personal mixtapes. I guess it would cut it and rejoin it in a in a single splice, would it? I've, I've used a you, you, splicer for but, but for 8mm film, not for... Yeah, I know of it yeah, for yeah, film. Yeah. Hmm. Um, he says, I remember... Oh, going off to college, I remember looking at the latest Tandy PC but I bought a mistake instead. He says, I remember how they would almost uh, accost you at the end of your purchase for your address and your phone number. Of course, they always wanted to send you the catalogs, didn't they? The last time I was in Radio Shack was 2010 or 11. I was looking at some electronic bits for my son's science project, and the great Isle of Parts I remembered was regulated to a sad, understocked... I think that meant relegated. Relegated to a sad, understocked set of drawers 
in the back corner of the store blocked by boxes of unsold inventory. The Maybe rest it was depreciated or deprecated. Decapitated. Let's, uh, let's not go there. The rest were cell phones and RC cars. And now I'll shut up. Um, I'm not going to have you dissing uh, Radio Shack for RC cars because I remember even at the height of Radio Shack being great, Radio Shack or Tandy RC cars were also cool. We all wanted a Radio Shack RC car for our. I think they belong there. I think we we, we criticised them for having some tat, and it's difficult to say what's tat and what's not. Like MP3 players, Mm. maybe they did belong there, but yeah, there, there was also some some just cheap electronics that can be made to look as if they were worth something and that that's the mm. kind of tat we're talking about so yeah i've noticed Starcade. that Starcade, the next answer mm-hmm. edited their answer at some point now does that mean they put an answer that got the upvotes and then they went back and edited it i mean well, that maybe. would be a way of gaming the system wouldn't it it's probably just a typo that they fixed but you know Starcade2084 says, while I'd stop into Radio Shack occasionally over the years, the last time, some 15 years ago, was to buy a coax cable stripper. The memorable purchase would have been in the late 80s. I managed to break my Atari joystick, likely from flinging it in frustration. So there's the rage we're talking about. Mm. I needed a new one for my C64. I popped down to my local Radio Shack who I knew carried computer things as well and spotted an official Commodore 64 joystick. And he's attached a picture of it. And I happen to have the same one boxed here. Neil, you got these, didn't you? Oh, no, you didn't. No, you didn't get them. Um, They ignored your offer, didn't they? Accepted everyone else's offer, ignored my offer for the same price. (laughs) This is the the joystick here. Um, I got it home and found that the rubberized triangular shaft to be both interesting and uncomfortable. The single <laughs> centered oval button was responsive, responsive, but clicked very loudly. But as terrible as it felt to use, it's what I had and I made do until the rubber on the shaft started peeling. At first a little and then more dramatically until the three sides made the joystick look like a peeled, rotting banana. The joystick was crap, and I pity anyone else who had to suffer with it. And now I'll shut up. And yeah, it doesn't feel very good. I think it's fine if you're playing a game like a strategy or a, or a, an RPG game. It'd be fine for that as a, a something to select things. But trying to play a trying to play a, a shooter with this would be murder. It doesn't bring anything to the party from the looks of it that the 1970s Atari 2600 joystick didn't bring. It, it really no. doesn't evolve the joystick as a that's device. That's a Radio Shack joystick. So Dave's got a Radio Shack joystick. He went to Radio no, no, Shack no. to buy the, the Commodore joystick. And it's Commodore ah, branded. It's Commodore branded. So it's worth a lot because it's got the Commodore branding on it and people are idiots with it. Because I've got an Archer joystick here, but on the bottom, that's why I quickly put my glass on to double check. It says Radio Shack on the bottom of this. Oh, it looks like a quick shot. It looks like a quick shot, but it's actually an Archer, and it's and it's Microsoft. I think I've raised this before. It's Microswitched, which the quick shot 2 was Microswitch not. Microswitch is nice. Yeah. No, it's it really, really good. Answer. Next answer comes from UK Cheeky Monkey. Chris, you've taken your glasses off. Can you still read it? Cheeky yes, Monkey. I take my glasses off to read things. 
it, don't get me started on when I do and don't need them. Uh, you cheeky monkey, UK cheeky monkey, sorry, says, I remember first going to Tandy in Pool High Street uh, to buy replacement needles for my mum's record player, which later progressed to buying my own gadgets. If I remember rightly, I learned that I could amplify the sound of an A500, probably a stereo, and bought a realistic SA10 solid-state amplifier that was really uh, something, blasting the Amiga out of big speakers, not just from the TV, and he says, oh, in yeah. glorious separated stereo. He doesn't say that. I added that. <laughs> we talk a lot about big telly, but big speakers need to get a look in sometimes as well. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. Lots of other um, big answers there, actually. Thank you to SD Matt 22 has a huge answer there. Um, Frosty Cheesecake, talking about um, going in the lunch hour from school. And uh, the fact that their Radio Shack had more games than Dixon's or Curry's, despite having a smaller shop. I would never have thought to go to Radio Shack to buy games myself. Maybe that's just a reflection mm. of the nearest one to me. Um, uh, Tristan and Murder talks about um, cables and accessories. Yeah. Um, any other answers stand out for you guys? There was a few, a few replies on the, the video saying that... Uh, from people in the UK who had Tandy stuff. So we talked last week mm. about how it wasn't that big a thing here. Um, mm. A few people did that. I knew some people would, and I'm glad to read their stories. I quite enjoyed reading their experiences with it because there was nothing really wrong with the systems. I just I don't think they were price competitive with the, the, the British offerings at the time, so I think that's why I didn't catch on, but I, I quite enjoyed reading those. Pajaco6502 talks about just flicking through the catalogues and enjoying the obscure things in there. Oz Retrocomp says four words, Radio Shack Battery Club. Now, I don't know what that is, but I'm guessing there was some kind of what that is. some kind of scheme. Maybe you could trade your batteries in or get maybe. cheap batteries or su subscribe to batteries. Or I maybe, don't know. Did you go in and you, it was a club you all went, turned up, put your batteries in the bowl, and then you picked up? Mm. Maybe it's like yeah, Fight Club. Maybe. You just turned up and beat the crap out of each other. Yeah, with your batteries. <laughs> it was a Scottish thing where you turned this up is and you deep fry things in batter. Mm. Oh, you'll need to tell us, Tony. Tony, tell us what it was. <laughs> so thank you to everyone who took part in last week's question of the week. Our question for this week, which you can answer at reddit.com forward slash r forward slash this week in retro, is confess. What was your worst game or system fueled rage what did you rage, rage. at and why rage or maybe at the dying of the light or maybe you were a bit you know more chilled out and um you can just tell us why why you didn't rage but we do in particular want to hear your rage stories the the ragier the better how um, how and why did you rage against the machine head over to our subreddit let us know thank you for taking the time to listen or watch uh please do comment subscribe like or if you really want to, join our patrons at patreon.com forward slash this week in retro to help support the show. And we'll see you same time, same place next week. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. They're waving. This Week in Retro was written and presented by the three Muppets you can see on your screen. It was left down to me, Duncan Styles, to edit it into the you just watched. Something about Spotify and YouTube. Tell your friends, I don't care.
Join our community subreddit at r slash thisweekinretro to suggest and vote on the stories we cover on the show. If you watch This Week in Retro on YouTube, please give us a like and subscribe to help us reach new viewers. If you enjoy our show and would like to support it, then please check out the link to our Patreon page in the show notes or description. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time for more up-to-date news for out-of-date tech.